Hello, everyone. It's Eves checking in here to let you know that you're going to be hearing two different events in history in this episode, one from me and one from Tracy V. Wilson. They're both good, if I do say so myself. On with the show. Welcome to this day in history class from HowStuffWorks.com and from the desk of Stuff You Missed in History Class. It's the show where we explore the past one day at a time with a quick look at what happened today in history. Hi there, and welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Christopher Hasiotis. Today, it's December 16th, and the Boston Tea Party took place on this day in 1773. Now, we have to go back to Boston in the colony of Massachusetts in the 1760s, so a little bit before the Tea Party. This is before the United States was a country or a political movement, really. Uh, Everyone was still a British subject. And to understand the context of what became the Tea Party, what led to the event, you need to know about the Stamp Act of 1765. Now, many goods had to be stamped in order to prove taxes were being paid back to Britain. This isn't just about postage stamps. It's uh, playing cards, all sorts of goods. And the colonists responded that these internal taxes were too onerous. It was too much of a pain. It was a contentious issue. The people who were actually in charge of overseeing the stamps resigned and left their posts. Now, Britain responded that, okay, we won't do that, but we'll instead tax imports to the colonies. And all this talk of tax may conjure thoughts of the saying, No taxation without representation. This is the sort of thing that is hammered into the heads of people in American history classes in middle school and high school. And what it means is that no specific members of parliament back in Britain were elected by the colonists or represented their interests directly. Parliament, on their hand, responded that essentially the colonists did have representation because everybody in parliament represented them, sort of. Uh, This was known as virtual representation. The colonists didn't really see eye to eye with the parliament on this and uh, it led to some more conflict. And that brings us to tea. Now, tea was super popular in the colonies. Uh, Colonists consumed 1.2 million pounds of tea per year, which is more than half a million kilos. The imports, however, were controlled exclusively by the British East India Company. And the import tax could be increased or decreased as necessary by parliament. One justification that Parliament gave for setting up this monopoly and levying these taxes was they had to spend money and resources on the French and Indian War, which they claim benefited the colonists, but it also benefited Parliament and the British Empire as well. Again, a series of events leads up to the Tea Party. It's, it's not just one isolated event. Laws and acts come into play. The 1769 Indemnity Act repealed the tea tax, but then the Townshend Acts restore that tax, and then those were repealed in 1770. And then in 1773, we have the Tea Act that comes along. Now, at this point, the people of Boston felt unrepresented. There was discontent. The whole population of the city was about 15,000, but there had been meetings of up to 5,000 people to talk about the problems. That's a third of the population of the city. And on November 27, 1773, word got out among one of these meetings that a shipment of tea was coming in. Now, the ships arrived in Boston Harbor and wanted to unload their tea, but the colonists particularly didn't want them to do that because then they'd have to pay the duty. The way it worked is once the tea hit the docks and left the boat, that's when the duties had to be paid. So folks whose names you may have heard, if you're familiar with American history, Paul Revere, John Hancock, Sam Adams, folks like this and 113 other Boston townspeople were at the Old South Meeting House in Boston. Now, that's at the corner of Washington and Milk Streets today, and The building still stands. You can see it. It's directly across from the Irish Famine Memorial. A little bit of a hubbub grows up in the crowd. Uh, You know, people get a little agitated. And everyone marches down to the docks. And they dump what today would be nearly $1 million worth of tea into the harbor. 
Now, this is generally a peaceful protest. There was destruction of property, obviously, and probably some shouting, some kicking and shoving, but uh, nobody was killed. There were no serious attacks. In fact, of the 116 people who participated in this act, only one was arrested. Now, word of what became known as the Boston Tea Party didn't reach England until January of 1774. The British reacted angrily. They closed the port of Boston. They insisted the British East India Company be reimbursed for their lost goods. They reinstated the Quartering Act, which meant that British soldiers could stay in the houses of colonists for free. They restricted meetings. And they also decreed that British officials who were accused of major crimes in the colonies couldn't be tried in the colonies and would have to come back to England. So the Boston Tea Party didn't kick off the American Revolution per se. It's often shorthanded that way in history classes, but the first draft of the Declaration of Independence didn't come into existence until about 10 months later. But if we can agree that a country is a set of ideals and goals, that there are no real borders on the ground. It's just a way that people think about themselves and the groups they belong to and what they value. The Boston Tea Party really did codify some of what America today believes about itself. If you want to learn more about the Boston Tea Party, then search for the December 8th, 2008 episode of our companion podcast, Stuff You Missed in History Class. That's titled, How the Boston Tea Party Worked. I'd like to thank Casey Pegram and Chandler Mays for their audio work on this show. You can subscribe to This Day in History Class or Stuff You Missed in History Class on Apple Podcasts. You can find them on the iHeartRadio app or pretty much anywhere else you find your podcasts. Now, please make sure to listen to tomorrow's episode when host Tracy V. Wilson returns and she will regale you with a history behind a certain celebration. Hey, I'm Eves, and you're listening to This Day in History Class, a podcast where we bring you a slice of history every day. The day was December 16, 755 CE. Chinese General An Lushan proclaimed himself emperor, marking the beginning of the An Lushan Rebellion against the Tang Dynasty. The rebellion resulted in the establishment of the short-lived Yin Dynasty and a devastating number of deaths, though the exact toll is difficult to estimate. The Tang Dynasty came to power in China in 618 CE. Arts and culture flourished in the dynasty, and it has been considered a golden age in Chinese history. But in the middle of the 8th century, the Tang Dynasty was involved in several wars, so a lot of troops were dying and the Tang court was losing money. An Lushan was a military commander, likely of Turkic and Sogdian or Iranian descent. He gained prominence leading raiding parties against Khitan armies and other forces that threatened China. After he was defeated in one expedition in the 730s, he was disgraced and supposed to be executed, but he was just stripped of his rank and titles. But they were soon restored, and An Lushan proceeded to rise in rank. By 742, he had become military governor of the province of Pinglu on the northeastern frontier. An Lushan often went to Chang'an, the Tang capital, and he gained the favor of Emperor Xun Song, the emperor's consort Yang Guifei, and Chancellor Lin Li Fu. And An Lushan continued to gain military power. By 747, he was given the honorary title of Chief Deputy Imperial Censor, and by 751, he was regional military commander of three garrisons in the north with more than 150,000 troops. 
Because he was in such good favor with the emperor, he avoided a lot of criticism. And he took advantage of the Tang Dynasty's weaknesses and his good graces with the emperor to plan a rebellion. In 752, Chancellor Li Lin-Fu, who had gained dictatorial power, died. Yang Guizhong, Yang Guifei's cousin, replaced Li Lin-Fu as chancellor. Conflict broke out between Yang Guizhong and An Lushan, and the next few years were marked by a power struggle as they tried to establish more military power on the frontier and political power in the court. At the same time, China was suffering from military defeats and natural disasters. And Lushan decided to use force. Under the guise that Emperor Xuanzang had commanded him to get rid of Yang Guizhong, and Lushan marched on Luoyang, the eastern capital of Tang China. Because An Lushan treated captured local officials decently, many joined his campaign and his ranks grew. He captured Luoyang, and on December 16, 755, An Lushan declared himself emperor in northern China and established the rival Yin dynasty. He was defeated by the Tang army in the Battle of Yangchu in 756, but he was more successful at Chang'an. He captured the city and sent the emperor southwest into exile with his court and household. The emperor's guards killed Yang Guizhong, whom they blamed for all the conflict, as well as Yang Guifei. Xuanzang abdicated in favor of the crown prince, Li Hong, who was proclaimed Emperor Suzong. Suzong appointed generals to deal with the rebellion, and imperial forces managed to recapture Chang'an and Luoyang. The rebellion continued, but An Lushan was murdered by his son in 757. The rebellion declined as its leaders died and soldiers and generals defected to the Tang army. It ended in 763, eight years after it began. The rebellion lasted through the reign of three Tang emperors. The rebellion weakened the centralized bureaucracy of the Tang dynasty, as the dynasty pardoned many rebels and allowed some to command their own garrisons. The Tang government also lost a lot of control over the western regions, a strategically important area in Central Asia. The economy and intellectual culture of the Tang dynasty also took a hit. The latter half of the Tang dynasty was marked by warlordism, and the dynasty ended in 907 a period of political turbulence known as the Five Dynasties and Ten Kingdoms followed the fall of the Tang Dynasty. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. If you have any insight on an accent or a pronunciation spoken in the show today, you can feel free to send us a kind note on social media at Podcast. Our email address is thisday at iheartmedia.com. Thanks for listening. We'll see you again tomorrow with another episode. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.